morning, family. So great to be with you all today. If you're a visitor, thank you so much for joining us today. We have an awesome family here of people who will love you well and care for you well, and we're really glad that you chose to be with us this morning. We're going to continue going through the series that we've been going through called The Upside-Down Kingdom, which is a study on the Gospel of Luke. And it's called The Upside-Down Kingdom because whenever Jesus comes onto the scene, everything gets flipped upside down. The things that we've been doing in our lives maybe are not the way of Jesus. And that's abundantly clear in today's passage. We're going to be in Luke 11 today, so if you want to turn your Bibles there, we're going to get into it pretty quickly here. And I don't want to waste any time. Because this text is a hard one, and it doesn't feel super great. It's kind of like PG-13 Jesus. He doesn't really pull any punches here, and I pray that as we go through this text that it challenges us, because I think it should. You know that question, if you could have dinner with anybody from history, who would it be? I bet a lot of people here, just knowing my crowd, might say Jesus. After today's text, you might have a change of heart. Because we're going to read what happens whenever a Pharisee asks Jesus over for dinner. And if you look at the Gospels and see who gets the most screen time as the bad guys, it's the Pharisees. Like, I mean, they're Satan, (laughs) you know? (laughs) He's not the greatest. He's called literally the enemy in Scripture. But the Pharisees are the ones that get the most attention. And the Pharisees, they're like the religious leaders of the day, kind of like people like me So that doesn't make me feel very good. But the Pharisees, just to be clear, they're not all bad guys. I'm sure some of them, we know some of them were sympathetic at least to Jesus' teachings. I'm sure some of them became followers of Jesus at some point. But nonetheless, they had some of the harshest things said about them in all the Bible. So the Pharisees, they were a Jewish sect of people who were the religious authorities that had political goals in mind. They really badly wanted to have God's kingdom come, and they thought they could do that by observing the law as closely as they possibly could. And this is what made the Pharisees really legalistic, or in other words, excessively follow the law. That they wanted to make sure that they followed it perfectly because they thought that God's kingdom would come quicker by their obedience. And the conversation about legalism, though in this text it's rooted in religious topics and matters, legalism is a modern day problem. We see it in politics. We see it in marriages. We see it whenever we judge somebody else. And really, another example would be like if a child stuffs all their stuff under the mattress and they're like, mom, I technically cleaned my room. It's like, well, did you though, right? Legalism is deeply rooted in all of us. And as you're gonna see from the sex today, Jesus has a problem with legalism and that problem is at least in us a little bit. So I pray that this morning may be a sort of legalism diagnostic to see how much we share with the people that had the most problem with Jesus so that we may move away from being a Pharisee into being a follower. In verse 37 is where we're gonna start. It says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. Something that I think is really cool, a couple of chapters later in Luke 15, The context of that meal, or the context of the Pharisees getting onto Jesus in chapter 15 is because he associates himself with tax collectors and sinners. 
He has table fellowship with them. Little did they know he is doing this exact same thing with them in chapter 11. It's just a different kind of sinner. It's a self-righteous kind of sinner. So this goes to show that Jesus' heart is truly for all kinds of sinners. It's not just for the lowly. It's not just for the self-righteous ones. And then if we keep reading in verse 38, it says, But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So the Pharisees had really strict observance over all the rules that they were to follow because, like I said, they wanted to usher in God's kingdom. So that made them do something where they made a law outside of the law. So they wouldn't even get close to breaking the law. So this is the first of our legalism diagnostics today is that legalism makes laws around laws. So an example of that today might be, we know piracy, like taking, downloading a movie online from the internet or something. That's illegal here in the United States. A law around that law would be like, hey, you can't even get on the internet anymore. That's a little extreme, right? But that's, that's the point, that's the thinking. You make a law to prevent yourself from breaking another law. So in this instance, what we have is hand washing. It's a tradition that the Pharisees really valued and they treated like it was a law. And there are examples in scripture of hand washing as a cleansing ritual, but there's nothing mandated in scripture that says you have to go before you eat a meal and wash your hands. So Jesus intentionally, I believe, chooses not to do that. And I bring this point up to my wife sometimes. Sometimes I forget to wash my hands before a meal and she might be like, hey, did you wash your hands? And I say, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. <laughs> and that normally goes super well. Um, but what Jesus is doing here is really stirring the pot. And I'm, I'm pretty sure this was intentional by him. It's like, oh, you asked me about hand washing. While we're on washing, let's talk about true cleanliness, shall we? Great segue, Jesus. And as you're shortly going to see, you're going to see that the Pharisees probably regretted having Jesus over for dinner this night. Because he definitely knows how to ruin a dinner party. And then in verse 39, it says, Then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what's inside of you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. So he opens up this conversation about true cleanliness. He's saying the cleanliness on the outside is what the Pharisees care about, but they completely ignore what's going on inside their hearts. And that's really the more important part. So Jesus is saying that ignoring the inside and focusing on the outside is as worthless as cleaning only the outside of a bowl or a dish while the inside remains dirty. But we know that's where the germs are, right? That's where the dirt is. That's where we eat from. That's the stuff that's damaging is on the inside. So it's a worthless thing to only care about the outside. And this is what Jesus is charging them with, hypocrisy which is the second of our legalism diagnostics. Whenever I say hypocrisy, what I mean is what we say we care about on the outside or what we present on the outside is not congruent or it doesn't line up with what is on the inside. For example, the Pharisees, they're in love with money and they are wicked internally, though they present themselves as the spiritual exemplars of their tribe. Whenever he asks about the creation of the inside and outside, he's saying, God created you and he knows your inside too. So this idea that we can separate the public from the private in our lives is a myth. Privacy is a myth. 
because God sees it all. Jesus is calling them hypocrites, but he's saying, even though you are hypocrites, you're not deceiving anyone. Because God really sees your heart. And if we pay more attention to the things that are on the inside, the things that are tied to our character and spirituality, then cleanliness will naturally flow to the outside as well. And that's why Jesus advocates for generosity to replace the greed that is in their hearts. And I think we need to do a long look at ourselves because really to some degree, I would argue that all of us are hypocrites in one thing or another. We can get really mad at the person that cuts us off in traffic and then two miles up ahead, we do it to someone else. Already forgot what just happened. (laughs) We present ourselves as amazing on social media But really, there's a lot of hard stuff going on at home. We can be quick to judge somebody else in their own sin, but in our own lives, we do the exact same things. It's important that we identify this in ourselves. Because how many times have you heard of people who grow up and leave the church because of some church people being hypocritical? Feeling like they're a fraud. And though I have some problems with that logic, to throw away Jesus because some followers of Jesus, supposed followers at least, did something to really damage you and have, make you have this disenchanted view of, of church and Jesus completely. The logic to me is like, I'm not going to use a pencil anymore because someone stabbed me with one one time. Like, yes, that's a traumatic thing, but pencils are still really awesome. Like, you can write and do great things. Similarly, Jesus is still amazing. So don't throw out Jesus for what somebody who used his name in a terrible way I just, that logic doesn't fully check out. But even even though it doesn't for me, it doesn't change the reality that people still leave church because of situations like this. And this is a reminder, church, we are held to a higher standard. If we are carrying the name of Jesus, we have to understand that people are watching us. They're watching our actions. And if we don't line up with the things of Jesus, of, of true love, then it might make people wanna get away from church. And I pray that our church is not going to be that place. And if you have church hurt that has pushed you away from Jesus, I just want to say I'm sorry. You came to a place expecting to find love and forgiveness, but instead you found hypocrisy. And like I said, we are all hypocrites, but still, church isn't supposed to be a place where hypocrisy thrives. So I'm sorry that you experienced that. But this is a good reminder for us as a church to examine our motives, our heart, and see what may not line up with our inside and outside. Because if we cannot really let our masks come off here with one another, where in the world are we gonna be able to do that? And where can other people find it? If we keep reading in verse 42, it says, woe to you Pharisees because you give a 10th of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Oh man, why does Jesus have to say stuff like this? Okay, so whenever Jesus says woe, he's saying it's like a lament. He's sad that the Pharisees are choosing this option because they know where it leads for them. Whenever he's talking about them giving a tenth of everything he has, he's pointing out, yeah, you guys tithe precisely. You do a great job at that, no more, no less. You hit that 10%, so good. But whenever it comes to the bigger stuff, love, justice, you miss the mark. You're missing the foundational things. You're really good at the public stuff, the stuff that adds to your image, 
but you neglect what's on the inside of your heart. And this leads to the third point. Legalism likes majoring in the minors. He doesn't like them following minor rules while neglecting the major ones. Yes, they should tithe. Tithing is a good thing. Please hear, church, tithing is a good thing. But more than that, they need to be kind to their neighbor. They need to love God. They need to care about justice. And I think out of everything that Jesus says in this section, this verse is the one that hits me the hardest, personally. Because oftentimes I think that we have focused on the wrong things in life. In my growing up years, I remember most of my Christian conversations were about like the hard-hitting stuff like how to properly do a church service and why instrumental music was a sin that's the stuff I knew all about I could I could talk about all the arguments about why there's no example or precedent of that in scripture whatever but through the things that I now consider way more important the weightier matters like love of neighbor love of God justice reaching the lost those sorts of things I barely talked about those things. I barely wanted to talk about those things. I wanted to talk about the stuff that I thought was more important, which really doesn't have much of any any evidence or any support from Scripture. And I pray that if Jesus were to come here today, that he wouldn't say something like what he told the Pharisees. I pray that Jesus wouldn't say, yeah, you check a lot of the right boxes of church, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Because here's the truth. Whenever we see Jesus, Jesus isn't going to say, well done, my good and faithful church service attender. When we see Jesus, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Meaning, if we are a servant, we are to follow in the steps of the master. We are to care about what the master cares about. Right? That means we emphasize the things that he emphasizes. And it's impossible to read Jesus and miss the key things, the greatest commands, caring about justice, raising up the poor, those sorts of things. That's where his emphasis is. It's not in the minor churchy details. So may we be a church that majors in the majors. In verse 43, it says, woe to you, church, because, not church, woe to you, Pharisees. Because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. So these religious leaders, they wanted to uh, honor, take the places of honor and gravitate towards those seats. The areas where they would get all the attention in public. That's what they cared about. Which brings up the other point that legalism values looking good in public. That's something that they really cared about. That's the outside of the dish sort of thing. And I think about what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount whenever he talks about how we should pray. And he talks about how a lot of hypocrites go onto street corners or in the synagogues and they stand up and have these long, elaborate, and beautiful prayers. But that's not the kind of prayer that Jesus is really wanting. But that's the kind of prayer that these leaders really valued. They liked getting the attention. They liked people seeing them as the religious leaders. So we need to ask ourselves, are we doing good things for goodness sake? Or are we only doing good things for the praise and attention of other people? And we read in verse 44, it says, Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. This is like, this is the most PG-13 I think Jesus gets in this uh, whole section. It's, It's really harsh language what he's saying here. He calls them unmarked graves. So the the idea is that there's this 
cut out in the ground. It's an unmarked hole, basically. And that's what the Pharisees are. And a lot of people are walking into that grave unknowingly, following the Pharisees to their death, basically. The people who are supposed to be the spiritual exemplars are actually the ones that are leading people to spiritual death. Woo! That's harsh. <laughs> it's a very deadly image, which leads to another point that legalism leads other people to their deaths. And that's a scary thing. And this is why I think Jesus has such a problem with it. Because not only is it harming yourself, not only is it harming your soul, it's leading other people down the same path. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. And in verse 45, he's, he's not done, uh, but now he switches targets a little bit. One of the experts in the law answers him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. <laughs> in other words, ouch, that hurt my feelings too, Jesus. So the experts in the law, they're not the Pharisees, it's a different group that was there. And they have training in writing legal documents, but they also want to make sure that people are following the law very closely. And instead of Jesus being like, oh, I'm so sorry, I hurt your feelings, my apologies. Because that's not what real love is, right? Sometimes you have to have hard conversations. Sometimes you have to say things that may feel a little insulting or offensive to somebody else because you love them and you care about them and you want what's best for them. And Jesus is demonstrating that. He doesn't go, I'm sorry. He's like, oh yeah, you guys, well, I'm at it. <laughs> and he, he looks at the, uh, law, the lawyers here. So it says in verse 46, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. He's on fire right now. Like this is some hard stuff. Again, he's pointing out the hypocrisy. You guys are literally writing the laws for people, but you don't care enough to help them in any meaningful way. Maybe you're not exemplifying it in a very good way. And whenever, whenever I hear this, my first thought immediately goes to like the state of modern politics and social media. Thinking about Twitter and Facebook specifically. Whew. Uh, people get worked up about a lot of stuff online. They argue that this is the right way to do this thing and not thinking this way is foolish and how would you think that this is the right way? I can't believe you would say something so foolish, whatever. We can say that we're pro whatever we are in life, but how much are we actually helping the causes that we say we care so much about? Or are we just paying at lip service? Are we really putting our money, our time, our effort where our mouth is? Something to consider. If we keep reading in verse 47, Jesus isn't done. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this is, <laughs> this is harsh. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. The blood from Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. I know I've talked to some people who said they would have loved to live in Bible times, live in the time of Jesus. This verse alone makes me not. 
want to do this. Responsible for all the blood of the prophet since the creation of this world? That's crazy. And to be clear, these people that he's having dinner with, they didn't kill all the people that came before them. But what he's saying is that same spirit that lived in them is living in you today. And all the prophets, they are pointing to me. I am the prophet. I am the messenger from God. And you're ultimately going to kill me. So therefore, you are responsible for all the blood that has come before to you. That is a scary text. That's a tough pill to swallow. And then in verse 52, this is the last thing he says. And at this point, I imagine they either kicked him out or he just mic dropped and left. But he said, woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who are entering. This leads to another point. Legalism creates obstacles for other people to know God. Rather than supplying the key to knowledge, they take it away. And the key to knowledge is talking about relational access, relationship with God. They are actually putting obstacles in the way of people coming to know God fully. So whenever we become legalistic, we can actually prevent be an obstacle that makes it hard for people to come to know Jesus. And then verse 30, 53 says, When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Which is kind of an inevitable conclusion after how this conversation went, I think. And this brings up the last point that legalism seeks to harm, or to use maybe some modern day language, cancel opposition. If you don't believe what we believe, if you, how dare you come across me, I'm going to have to deplatform you. I'm going to have to ruin your reputation, is what is happening right here. Sounds a little familiar to today, doesn't it? The spirit of the Pharisees is alive and well in today's world. The scribes and the Pharisees could not wait for Jesus to make a major mistake, or even a minor mistake, so that they could just attack him and ruin his reputation. They're waiting for that one bad answer, that one bad tweet, so they could end him. But ultimately, they met all of those accusations that Jesus gave with defensiveness. They weren't hearing what he was really saying. And I think we have that same temptation this morning. We may like pointing these things out in other people, but whenever we look at this list and look within ourselves, do we see much of this within us? What kind of legalism are we still clinging to? Do we look more like a follower or a Pharisee? Because hearing this scathing rebuke of Jesus to these people, it's really heavy, right? Especially whenever we put ourselves in this story. I don't know about you all, but me, I see several of those things that were up there on that list that I'm like, yeah, there's some stuff I still got to work on. Legalism is still gripping into me a little bit. And that can stir up a little bit of fear because you just hear how harshly Jesus talked to these people, right? What woes would Jesus say to me? You know what Jesus' favorite verse was to quote to the Pharisees? Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He came not for the righteous, but for the sinners to come to repentance. This is a quote from Hosea 6. And the idea here is that people 
come and they bring their correct sacrifices, they check all the right religious boxes, and they think in doing that they're living faithfully to God, and therefore God owes them something. I've been going to church every day, my whole life. I have earned this. Sometimes we have that with us. They see themselves as righteous for the things that they have done. But Jesus didn't come for the righteous. And when I say righteous, I don't mean actually righteous. I'm saying the self-righteous. Those deep in the trenches of legalism that feel like they have earned their way to God and they are in no need of a savior. Jesus came for the sinner. And the problem with the Pharisees is they could not see themselves on the same level as the murderers, as, as the thieves, as the adulterers, as the tax collectors in this world. Their prayer was not, Lord, have mercy. Their prayer was, thank God I'm not that person. The law was not made as a checklist to earn righteousness. Actually, one of the main purposes of the law, according to Romans 3, was to point out the sin in our lives, to help us to become conscious of our sin. Because if we can think that we can perfectly observe the law like the Pharisees thought, then Jesus really can't help us. And this is partially why I think Jesus tells the Jewish leaders in John 5, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Flourishing life, living life to the fullest, it doesn't come from following all the rules and checking all the boxes in the right way. It doesn't come from legalistically following the law. And if it did, it would be terrifying because the moment that we would break the law, we'd be in jeopardy of losing our standing in favor before God. But one of the most freeing things imaginable, imaginable is the knowledge that we are all sinners. The good news is knowing that since we are all sinners, our salvation cannot possibly come from checking all the right boxes. Because we all fall tremendously, tremendously short of living like Jesus. It is impossible for us to earn our salvation. It is only whenever we surrender to Jesus and realize that we are in need of a savior, in need of healing outside of ourselves, that we can actually be his follower. And if you don't believe that, just look at all the healing stories in the Gospels. What is the thing that makes these people well? It's their faith. The simple faith of saying, God, I know you can do it, and I realize I'm powerless and I can't. And one of the most incredible examples in all the Bible of this to me is while Jesus is being crucified, the guy next to him acknowledges his own sin and says, Lord, remember me. And Jesus says, surely today you will be with me in paradise. And the legalism in us looks at that. And we're just like, no, that can't be right. It can't be that easy, right? I mean, this person probably lived a terrible, terrible, terrible life. And at the last moment, he just says, hey, Jesus, remember me. And he's like, yep, gotcha. There's no way it's that easy, right? Our whole world screams that you have to do to be loved. We may have experienced that with our parents, that we felt like we had to earn our love from them. Our jobs, it's all about performance, right? It's just woven into the fabric of American culture. But the truth is, in our lives, the power of legalism is great, but God's grace is greater. And today, you may be deep in the clutches of legalism. You may have an inner Pharisee that's having a really hard time going away. 
And something that's really interesting to think about, the law killed that man on the cross. But Jesus is the one that freed him. Jesus is offering freedom instead. So I think we need to ask some questions individually and as a church. What are are the things that we want to value more? Do we want to value getting the tiniest details on how to have the proper church service? Or do we want to care more about bringing God's kingdom here to Franklin? Because if we really want that second option, that means we have to look at ourselves and ask, are we only focusing our energy on Bible studies, on podcasts, on worship music, while neglecting justice and the love of neighbor? We shouldn't get rid of either of those two. I'm just saying we need to think about what we're emphasizing. Because our world right now is crying out for justice. Our world is looking for love and community because we are all so isolated right now. And the thing is, if we were living like Jesus, people would find those things here. And the world doesn't need a group that is internally focused and arguing about all these minor religious details. The world needs Jesus. Jesus is the remedy. And may we be a church that can administer that remedy to others. So I want to invite all of our shepherds and prayer team to go ahead and go to the outside parts of this room. This is a part of our service where if you have any needs or any prayers of any kind, maybe you have legalism that's just attached to you and you're trying to get it off and you don't know how. Maybe you need healing from something. Maybe you're going through a hard time with your family. Maybe you have a celebration that you just want to talk with someone about. It doesn't have to be something bad that's going on. Anything that you'd want prayers for. If you want to know more about Jesus or how you can get plugged in here or if you're interested in baptism or anything, please go and talk to one of these people and we'd love to pray for you. So after I pray, go ahead and do that. Lord, we thank you so much for being a God of freedom. Being a God that... really wants us to focus on the right stuff, the major things. And I pray that we may be a church that lives into your example, that lives like you do. And I pray that you remove that awful cancer to our soul in believing that we have to do to be loved. Help us remove the roots of legalism within us because it is so damaging and we don't want to be a church or a person that leads other people to their deaths or being an obstacle from other people to come to know who you are fully. Lord, may you remove those obstacles. Help us to walk into freedom. Help us to understand your grace and how much you love us and how much you care for us because that's the stuff that changes the world. And I pray that this church, this place may be a beacon of that grace to help everybody know, hey, if you're sick, you're in a good crowd. (laughs) We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.